Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerville, a church situated in the northern suburbs of Cape Town. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that it will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. Amen. So, moved with compassion. Um, one of the important things that we've looked at, and even last week, being moved towards family, just want to read one verse from last week. 1 John three sixteen to 20 says, or uh, just verse 16 actually, this is how we have discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Because of this great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. And so it's in light of Jesus' sacrifice, in light of what Jesus did for us, that we get to lay down our lives. Lay down our lives for one another, but also lay down our lives for the lost, so to speak. Because that is what Jesus did ultimately, right? There was no Christian until Jesus died. There's no, no opportunity for people to be right with God before Jesus' death and is pouring out of His Spirit. So we need to understand that Jesus Himself literally laid down His life for the lost. And so we too can lay down our lives for one another, in serving one another, in sharing our goods with one another, but we can also share our lives and lay down our lives for the lost. In a, in, a, in a large degree, the, the guys going to Albania, and even those who've, who've given towards the trip, you're laying down something. You're laying down something. You, you, you're giving money towards something, whereas you could have used that money on yourself. You could have uh, gone for a nice meal, or you could have done whatever it may be, spending it on yourself. So choosing to give towards this trip, for example, choosing to give in towards, the, towards the kingdom, we're not doing it because it benefits me. Yes, psychologically, there's, there's, there's something that happens in your brain and there's chemical reactions and the world is partaking more of that than the Christian church actually is. The, the, the feel-good hormone when you're giving, when you're doing good. But we get to give and do good that has an impact on eternity, praise God. The world is giving and doing good and they're benefiting only here on this earth. And they're giving and they're doing good is not impacting eternity, whereas ours is when we're giving in towards the kingdom and towards the mission. Amen. So we get to be moved towards family and lay down our lives to, for one another. So we looked at that last week, get the teaching online. This morning we're looking at a move towards the lost. So we get to be moved with compassion towards the lost. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 30 to 35 from the Passion. And as we're getting into the Word, please uh, make mental notes uh, but better so make, make physical notes. Put some uh, notes down on, on, your, on your phone or on a piece of paper to, to ponder on the Word, to think on the Word, to go back to the Word, to, to meditate on. And even the Holy Spirit, and I've often encountered this where the Holy Spirit kind of takes me down a rabbit, a rabbit trail, so to speak, and um, He wants me to go and further study something that the, 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 the minister up front didn't necessarily elaborate or get into. So make those mental notes so that you can go on and further uh, study something that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. So Luke 10, 30 to 35, Jesus replied, Listen, and I will tell you, there was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. When bandits robbed him along the way, they beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Soon a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. 
Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from the donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, Take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will pay you when I return. So this is a, a popular passage of Scripture. I'm sure all of us have heard that this at, at some point in our lives. The story of uh, the, the, um, the, the Samaritan man and an Afrikaans, Baramartig Samaritan. In English it is? Just Samaritan. The good Samaritan. Baramartig. And then on the other side, good. Like it, it seemed, I was waiting for a bigger word. Um, the good Samaritan. The Baramartig Samaritan. Um, and uh, so all of us have heard this passage of Scripture, and there's so much to get into uh, this and draw out of this passage this morning. But a few things that I just want to draw out this morning. Again, case in point, I might draw out specific things for you, and uh, we, I've got a specific message, message that I want to uh, encourage us with and challenge us towards. But there might be some other things that the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to dig into. So make a note of that. Don't get distracted by it. Continue on the journey with us, and then after the setting, then uh, please, in your uh, devotion time, go and further investigate uh, these things that the Holy Spirit might want to reveal to you. So the first thing that I want to look at this morning uh, is the fact that the, the Samaritan man, the good Samaritan, was moved with compassion. He wasn't moved by guilt. He wasn't moved because he had to move. There was something in him that enabled him to move. There was something in him driving him to move. And we've got that something in the context of being moved towards the lost. We've got the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is all about being moved towards the lost. Case in point, Jesus. Jesus was moved to leave heaven, leave the luxury of heaven, to come and be born, not as an adult, to be born as a baby, to be dependent on the very people He came to die for. We need to realize the severity of what Jesus gave up and sacrificed. Otherwise, we just kind of, oh, that is nice. Jesus died for me. We need to meditate and engage our imaginations with what actually took place, what Jesus actually did through dying for me. He left it all. He laid down everything for us. He was moved with compassion. And being moved with compassion like the Samaritan is moved with purpose. He was moving in a direction. It wasn't just aimless. He wasn't just kind of a, doing things that didn't have an impact on this man. He could have gone to this man and be moved and ask him, so how was your day? Like, how was your week? Where, where, are, where are you heading? It, it didn't matter where this guy was heading. What mattered was that this guy was bleeding to death. And he needed help. And he needed it quickly. And so we need to also understand that being moved with compassion, we also need to understand that there's going to be intentionality and it needs to happen with purpose. And especially in these times that we're living in, we need to understand that time is, time is uh, running out. Time is running out. There's people that you're praying for maybe, people who are unsaved, who haven't responded to the message of the gospel in your life, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a friend. 
And time's running up for them, literally. Every day that goes by is a day that we're moving closer towards the reappearance of Christ or a day that they might not be with us anymore for whatever reason, whether it's tragedy or whether it's age or whatever the case may be. So time is running out. So this man, the Samaritan, he moved with, pa- with purpose and intent. He moved immediately, swiftly. And he put his, his dealings aside for a moment to get this guy into the inn. And then he said to the innkeeper, I'll come back. If there's anything more, I need to repay. So he's strategic about his movement. And what I want to encourage us with and challenge this morning, specifically in this context, is there's maybe a little bit more to the story and the, the, the cultural differences that was between these three men. And we're not going to get into all of that this morning. But, but ultimately, there's a world out there who's, who's needing some compassion. They're needing the body of Christ, the Christians. Say Christian. Christian isn't someone's name. It is also someone's name. But Christian is, is by definition, it's a bearer of Christ. That's who you are. You bear Christ. You're ambassador of Christ. You get to choose whether you're a good one or a bad one. God doesn't choose for you. I'm going to say that again. You are an ambassador of Christ. You get to choose whether you're a good ambassador or whether you're a bad ambassador. God doesn't choose for you. He doesn't select a few good ones and He says, okay, cool, you're going to be the good ambassadors and then uh, let's, let's make you average ambassadors. Just because we don't want too much good in the world, we want some average as well to make the others feel good about themselves. No, God is all about wanting you to represent Him well. Wanting you to be a good ambassador, representing His heart, His nature, and His purpose for the world, which is to seek and save the lost, for all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. We also need to realize, as I said earlier on, the, the world, the unbelieving world, there's a lot of good non-profit organizations feeding the poor, uh, taking care of widows, a lot of different things. There's a lot of good things happening in the world. But if it's not touching people's spiritual condition, it's not going to impact the eternity and it's a waste of time in a sense. Not completely, so don't quote me just on that. But we need to understand that we need to look after people's carnal while at the same time they're spiritual. Because the spiritual is more important than the carnal. But sometimes solving the carnal problem helps them receive the spiritual solution. Right? It's easier for someone to receive the gospel if they've got food in their stomach versus they haven't eaten for a week. Hallucinating and not being able to hear what you're saying fully. Do you understand what I'm saying? Practically speaking, it helps you sometimes. If someone is bleeding, don't preach the gospel. If they're bleeding and you know they're going to die in 30 seconds for whatever reason, preach the gospel to them. Get them to respond to it. Because if they're dead, they're dead. But in this situation, obviously with the, uh, the, the good Samaritan, he was treating his wounds and ministering to him physically. And then later on, he could have probably used that as an opportunity to minister. It's not recorded, but he could have probably ministered then the gospel to this man after his wounds were taken care of. And he could have actually come to... Uh, uh, Wake up from his, uh, whatever, his coma, so to speak. So we need to realize that they both go hand in hand, but oftentimes we just want to kind of come in guns blazing, preach the gospel, but we're not considering this person maybe needs a, a little bit of a natural caring as well. Let's go to Matthew 9, verse 35. 
But we also see from the, the Good Samaritan, before we go to Matthew, is, or you can turn there so long, Matthew 9, 35, is the fact that this man sacrificed a lot. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his, his agenda. He was heading somewhere. He eventually got there, but he was probably late. But he sacrificed and he put things aside for the advancing of the kingdom. Now sometimes people, um, let me not go there. Matthew 9, 35 to 36. Jesus walked throughout the region with the joyful message of God's kingdom realm. He taught in their meeting houses, and wherever he went, he demonstrated God's power by healing every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion, because they seemed weary and helpless, like wandering sheep without a shepherd. When I look at verse 36 to uh, 38, um, just from... Let's read that again, just on uh, verse 37 and 38 from the Passion. It says, He turned to His disciples, He turned to His disciples and said, The harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead the owner of the harvest to thir- uh, thrust out many more reapers to harvest His grain. Now again, Jesus was doing a few things here. Let's look at some of those things. We need to consider, as we reading and studying the Word, it's good to ask questions. It's good to kind of investigate. And, and asking questions is a good tool to think further than just reading on the surface. Okay, so what was Jesus doing here? Firstly, He was, he was walking around, talking about and sharing the message of God's kingdom realm. And then He was also teaching. So there's, there's, there's a little bit more to just than there's a little bit more than just sharing a message. Teaching means you help someone understand what you're sharing with them. It's important. It, it might seem too simple for you, and, but it's important to understand when we bring the gospel to someone, we need to consider the application and how we're connecting the dots for this person is, can be valuable to them responding with a yes or no. We need to get this. It's not just a matter of, okay, let's look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know it. That's a, for whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not as simple as, okay, yeah, because that's, that's sharing a verse maybe to someone. That's sharing a thought with someone. But teaching now means you're breaking it down for them. The way that you're going to share the, and minister the gospel to a six-year-old is going to be very different to the way you're going to minister the gospel to a 30 or 40 year old you need to break it down you need to understand the message so that you can teach it in an applicable way to your audience one of the reasons why we're gathering is to grow say grow with me to grow in our understanding of the word not just to sh- get a good word on a sunday morning there's a lot of churches that that that's that's vision is just to share a good encouraging feel-good message on a sunday morning the people are encouraged, they're hyped up, they're excited a little bit, then they walk out and they've got nothing to apply into their lives. They come Monday and they've got a bunch of unsaved uh, colleagues and they don't know how to engage with them because they aren't being equipped. We need to be equipped, we need to be challenged, we need to be trained for the mission. And that's what we, what we focus on here at, the, at this ministry, to, to train, to, to make disciples who are making disciples. 
What did Jesus, what else did he do? He demonstrated God's power by healing every kind of disease and illness. Now, there's a lot to be said on, on that one statement with regards to healing and when it's God's will to heal and whether it's not. And it's always God's will to heal. How do we know that? Because it was always Jesus' will to heal. Right? Never do we once see Jesus deny someone healing because of their sin. Because of their, their grandfather's sin. Because of their grandmother's grandmother's sin. Never did Jesus get into that. He saw a problem and he was moved with compassion. We get to be moved with compassion because we've got the answer to the problem. Whether it is sickness, whether it is salvation, we've got the answer to the world's problem. What else does Jesus do here? He says, Jesus also points out a need that goes beyond the healing of a natural disease or anything carnal. So he does those things. He ministers the gospel. He preaches the, the message of the kingdom and he helps people understand how this is applicable to you through teaching. He heals the sick and he, and, he, and, he, and he cleanses diseases, but then he goes further and he talks about the harvest. And that's what we're talking about this morning. God is all about, and we believe all about healing and signs and wonders and praying for the sick. Amen. And so by the way, if there's something that is, that is ailing you in your body, please come up afterwards. Let's pray for you. Let's stand in agreement with you. Let's let trust God for, for a manifestation of His healing power in your body. We need to raise our expectancy. Too often we just settle because the doctors can help you. There's nothing wrong with doctors. But let's, let's still, while we may be using medication, let's trust for miracles so that we don't need to use medication for the rest of our life. So that, we, that we're not de so dependent on medication that if you forget whatever that medication is, for whatever reason, when you go away from your home, you won't be in fear because, man, I could die now because I'm not having my medication. You guys get what I mean? So let's not become so dependent on medication to the degree where we never trust in God for miracle and breakthrough in a specific area with regards to chronic sickness. Amen. But let's, let's, let's invite family into the matter that you're struggling with. Don't be fearful and think that you're going to be condemned by sharing, hey, I'm, I'm challenged with this physical disease or this, this sickness. If you get condemnation from the person you, you, you're telling, then you're telling the wrong person. If you come and tell me, you're not going to get condemnation from me. You're going to get a loving friend, a loving brother who's going to pray with you, who's going to stand with you and expect breakthrough in that area. But Jesus gets into a very important thing, which is what we're talking about this morning, is the salvation of the world, that this harvest is ready. And it's been ready for thousands of years now. What does it mean that the harvest is ready? In light of what Jesus accomplished, the harvest is ready. People are seeking an answer to the void that they are experiencing. And guess what? Because the church is not giving them the answer, they're finding it all across in the world. Through work, through uh, um, success, through sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Because the church is not giving them the answer, the church is not going into the harvest, reaping the harvest that is ready. Obviously, none of us this morning, like we, 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 we're going and we... <laughs> I can grow. I can grow more in this reality. And if you humble yourself to admit that, then praise God, people will start to receive Christ and stop looking for filling the void that they're experiencing 
through all of these other means. The harvest is ready. We get to go as harvesters into the field. But what does Jesus say here? He says, firstly, pray for the harvest. But oftentimes people forget that Jesus also said, as you go. He literally says, as you go, pray. Not pray for something to happen and stay in your closet praying, not ever stepping out. No, as you go, be part of this reaping of the harvest. Also pray and look for opportunities and not opportunities to just share the gospel, but opportunity to help your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ also take hands with you in the harvest. That's what we call discipleship. Growing in discipleship and helping our brothers and sisters grow in understanding that this is our mission as it was Jesus's to seek and save the lost. As we go, pray for opportunities. Pray for your best friend, for opportunity to, to disciple them, to get into the Word with them so that they can be mobilized to also become a harvester. Amen. So what should our praying look like? Let's look at it a little bit practically. What should our praying look like? We looked at prayer a few weeks ago, but just in light of this specific context, our prayer should look like praying for harvesters going into the field. So how much of your prayer life is about that? Praying for harvesters, praying for yourself, as we see in the early church as well. Praying for boldness and confidence to preach the gospel. Uvia needs more boldness and confidence to preach the gospel. It's important to preach the gospel because it's daunting. Because someone can... I wanted to make a joke now. Someone can eat you if you minister the gospel to them. I'm joking. I'm being ridiculous. What's the worst that can happen when you minister the gospel to someone? They can't eat you. I've never heard about a case in South Africa, at least, where you minister the gospel and they start eating the person who ministered the gospel to them. Our egos, our, like our egos find it very difficult to, to, to minister the gospel and fear of man, like as, as Proverbs says, fear of man brings a snare. So yes, the fear of man is hindering us oftentimes. That's why we need to pray for boldness, for confidence, to minister the gospel and not to, to, to be afraid of man. So in that sense, you're also praying for yourself as a harvester. But then let's, let's pray for the, the rest of the harvesters around as well, the church family. And look for opportunities to, if, you, if you're walking and, you, and you're growing as a harvester and you're already sharing with people, you're a few steps ahead of someone else who's never done it. So if you know that someone, you have a relationship, start walking a road with them. Start looking for opportunity to get into the Word and challenging them through the Word. Because the Word encourages us to spur one another to love and good works. The greatest act of love, the greatest act of good works is salvation. Helping someone receive salvation. Let's not get sidetracked with just feeling good about feeding people. It's good to feed people. It's good to take care of people's carnal needs. But that can become a distraction. Where we forget that people also have a spiritual need. And we see this in Jesus' ministry. He's taking care of people's physical needs. He's, 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 he's healing them. But then he also stresses the importance. And he says, he's looking at the vast crowds. What does it say? When he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. 
So this is after he's, he's healed them and he's like ministering to them. But then he's, he realizes and he stresses an importance to his followers that they are without a shepherd. They are without a father. And so it's vitally important for us to, to catch the heart of Christ in this. So we should pray for the harvesters to go into the field, for ourselves as harvesters as well. So what is harvesters in this context? It's talking about believers sharing the gospel. Straightforward. What is the field? It's talking about the, the lost, the unsaved. Now, I say believers, but we need to define actually more specifically what a believer is because there's a lot of believers in this world, but there are not a lot of disciples. Believers, we're going to have a bunch of believers in heaven. And it's going to be awesome. Some are going to have to have tears wiped off of their faces. And some are going to laugh coming into heaven. Rejoice. What does it mean to come into heaven and having God need to wipe the tears off of your face? It's you having settled for something so much less than Jesus died for you for on earth. And you realizing it when you come into heaven. You get to choose whether you're going to just be a believer who's going to have to be comforted in heaven, have some tears wiped off of your face, or whether you're going to be a believer on earth living a life of significance, impacting this world, and be welcomed into heaven with a well-done, good, and faithful servant. God isn't choosing for you. I'm not choosing for you. You get to choose for yourself what type of welcome you're going to receive in heaven one day. So we're talking about believers specifically being those who live on mission. Luke 19.10, what mission? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. On mission. Believers who are on mission to seek and save the lost. Now, do you seek something? How do you seek something? Does it just happen? Or do you purpose it? If something is lost, what do you do? You kind of get down under, underneath the couch. You start moving. There's movement. It's not like you're sitting on the couch and like, I wonder where my keys are. Like, I wonder where my keys are. They, they, they could be in my cupboard. How are you going to find out if they're in your cupboard? You go to your cupboard. You open up the door. That is intention. That is purpose. Jesus came with intent. He came with purpose to seek and save the lost. Seek happens with intention, with, with purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. The lost are out there. The harvest is ready. Are you seeking it? Are you looking for it? How do you save something? By firstly yourself being saved. Because if you're busy drowning, you can't help someone else that's also drowning. So it's firstly understanding and coming to receive Christ, but then also growing in that. Because you can't help someone if you don't know what the solution is. For example, I'm not going to be teaching science classes. I'm not going to help anyone. There's a, pro there's a problem there. If you can put a problem in a, like a, uh, a science, like a, whether it's chemical or f uh, physical science, you can put something on the board there and I can try and figure it out because I did have science in school. I barely passed. But I'm not going to be able to like, explain much of it to you. I don't have the solution. So I can't help you. You need to understand what the solution is. You need to come to know and become confident in the solution so that when someone is in a specific predicament and you see someone's spiritual condition, you are bold enough to say, hey, I've got the answer for you. And it feels good to have the answer, right? It feels good to be able to help someone. The greatest help you can ever lend to anyone is giving them the answer to life. Jesus. We need to become confident of this and become persuaded in this. Because that is when we start seeing mountain-moving faith. 
is when we're persuaded by something, when we're convinced in something. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts, and be ready always. Say always. So not just sometimes, always. Some of you are ready sometimes. Be ready always to give an answer. Say answer. Answer means solution. Give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Are you ready? Is the question. How often are you ready? How ready are you when you are ready? Because encouragement and the challenge here is be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Now another cool thing to draw out of this is are people asking you for a reason for the hope that you have? Are people asking you for a reason for the hope that you have? If not, then a challenging question could be, are you living like someone who's got a hope in something more than this world? Or are you just looking like the rest of your unbelieving friends and family and colleagues? A good word? Indeed it is. I'm being challenged by this. I'm sure you're being challenged by this. And praise God for His Spirit and for love that can lift us into the challenge if we respond with meekness and humility. Are people asking you for a reason for the hope that you have? Are you living like someone who's, who's got a hope that goes beyond the shifting of natural circumstances, the economy failing, lockdown, COVID, all of these things? Are you living like someone who's got a hope and something that's unshakable? If you are, people are going to ask you, What's going on? And then you need to, as Peter says, give an answer to them. Are you ready to give an answer? If you're not ready, what are you going to do about it? We've got many courses, guys. We just recently went through uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It was an amazing course on ministering to uh, people of the Islamic faith. And uh, we've got... Discipleship courses, uh, we did Discover, and the, the first part of Discover was all about uh, engaging with people of even any other kind of faith, atheists specifically, giving them evidence for the resurrection, giving them evidence for uh, God's creation. The only way that you're going to be able to give them an answer, supernaturally speaking, you could always give them an answer by the Holy Spirit. But none of us here, I believe, hears perfectly from the Holy Spirit 24-7. How do I know that? Because everyone here is one-third physical, human, carnal. Your mind is still being renewed. All of us here. No one's here's mind is perfectly renewed. And so that means that there's sometimes going to be a, a glitch in the system, so to speak. So all I'm trying to say is you need to be prepared. It doesn't matter because we've got the Holy Spirit, each one of us here, but we can't bank just on that. We need the Holy Spirit to work with something as well. And so all of the courses we have, the different meetings we have, it's there to help train you to have an answer. To be equipped to have an answer for the hope that you have. Then 2 Timothy 2.15 also says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to be ready to give an answer. And that's going to require studying. Say studying. Studying is different to reading. Studying is different to just listening to a teaching. I know some of you love listening to podcasts and many teachings and sermons and 
You can quote Andrew Warmack back to front and Joseph Prince front to back and whoever you're listening to online. The Word calls us to study the Word of God, to get into it so that we can become confident. Study to show yourself approved to God. It's for yourself that you need to study. God doesn't care. He loves you regardless. But when you study, you're going to become confident in your relationship with God. When you're studying, you're going to be confident in the hope that you have. When you're studying, you're going to have an answer for the hope you have. Too often Christianity is sold as this passive thing of receiving Christ and then all of your needs are met and He's solving all of your problems and kumbaya, let's just sit back and wait for Him to come back. Man, nowhere in the Bible do we see someone receiving Christ and the message of Christ and just saw them sit back and relax and die away slowly. Paul wrote to Damascus. Saul, he has an encounter with God, experiences the gospel, and he's radically transformed. Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. Receives Christ, the Holy Spirit. Boom, he preaches and 3,000 people are saved. Calling the people out, saying, you crucified him. Jesus Christ. Imagine telling that to a group of 3,000 more people. You crucified him. He's the Messiah. You fools. I'm sure Peter wasn't the biggest guy. And there were bigger guys, angrier looking guys in, in that. But what did he have? He had boldness and confidence because God's Spirit was working in him. Are you allowing the Spirit of God to work in you to give you that boldness and confidence to minister the gospel? When needed and when people are asking for an answer. Coming to a close. Like I said, too often the, the gospel has been portrayed and, and shared in ways that it was never intended to be shared in. So it boils down to what is the gospel you heard and what is the gospel you're hearing? Is it a gospel of having all of your needs met? Solving all of your problems? Having an easy life? Having everyone like you, etc.? Oftentimes we think that's the gospel, like, man, I'm going to receive Christ and then I'm just going to be friends with everyone. Everyone's going to like me. It's going to be amazing. Everyone didn't like Jesus, so get over yourself. Everyone's not going to like you. Everyone's not going to like you. Stop running after the approval of man because it is a snare. We need to be about our Father's business and truth is going to offend people. So just trying not to offend people be your life motto. You're going to live a very ineffective Christian life, a very unimpactful Christian life. The gospel is not a gospel of having all of your problems solved and having an easy life. Jesus said you'll have persecution, but take heart. What is in you is able to persevere through that persecution. If you, if you bought into a gospel that's all about carnality and having your life easy and all about self, self is a very little part of the gospel. Yes, it includes you as an individual, but it includes the whole world, millions of people as well, who've gone before us, who's still going to come after us. The gospel goes further than just you yourself and Jesus having died for you. If you have a self-centered view of the gospel, then you will be a very ineffective harvester. But if the gospel you heard and is hearing is about God's love for you and the rest of the world, Different story. If the gospel you're hearing is about Him calling us into intimacy for fruitfulness, then you'll have a different impact in this world. If the gospel you're hearing is about His Spirit in us for purpose and intentionality, then you'll be an effective harvester 
in the field. If it's about God's global rescue plan and about being prepared for battle to persevere, then you'll be a harvester who will have an impact and add value to the kingdom. We get to decide what type of believer we're going to be in this world. We're going to get to decide whether what type of harvester we will be in this life. God's desire for the world is to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. The harvest is ready, as Jesus said, thousands of years ago. What are we doing about it? Are we ready to give response? Are we stepping out? Are we sacrificing our comfort, our lives, to seek and save the lost? like Jesus did. If you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to visit us at one of our gatherings. To find out more, please contact us at info at or visit us at gracelife.co.